0: Good afternoon everyone. My name is Ethan Lacey and I do TMT Specialty Sales at New Street. I want to thank you all for joining us for to, uh, today for our T-Mobile Sprint regulatory update call. Obviously very last minute, but in light of uh, headlines today, we thought it would be important to convey what we think is relevant in the market re- regarding both price action across uh, all of the derivative uh, names in the space and then Uh, what we think is pertinent from a regulatory perspective. From New Street on the call today, we have Blair Levin, Jonathan Chaplin, and Spencer Kern. As always, the more interactive, the better. There will be no slides for this call, but please feel free to send any questions you might have over email, if you like, to ethan.lacy at newstreetresearch.com. We're gonna start with Blair, our TMT regulatory analyst, the former FCC chief of staff and author of the National Broadband Plan, And with that, I'm gonna hand it over uh, for Blair. Blair, thank
1: you. Uh, Thank you very much, Ethan. Four quick points. The first three relate to risk, the second relate to future deals. So the big question is, uh, what are the odds of the deals getting done? What are the risks to it not getting done? I think there are three elements of risk. One is at the FCC, I regard that as close to meaningless. That is to say, I believe Pi has three votes. Some questions have been raised about statements that Michael Riley has made about his opposition to regulation and uh, behavioral conditions, Mike can easily just vote for the deal on other grounds, dissent on the conditions or not. Uh, Pai had made similar statements, so I I think, as we said in our note of the weekend, those are probably inoperative. Second is the risk at the DOJ. There's some risk there. It is is certainly curious uh, and unprecedented for the FCC to move first. The FCC did go first on the DirecTV dish deal uh, blocking that but that was like a half an hour going first it was a coordinated effort it was not the FCC kind of going solo this appears to be the FCC going solo though who knows Uh, Delrahim may make a statement soon and it's curious that if Delrahim wasn't on board why did the FCC do it so I think there's some risk but I you know based on Delrahim's comments uh last week in Cartagena as we wrote on Friday or and over the weekend It did seem to represent a shift in his own thinking from a few weeks earlier comments that he made at the Milken Conference, et cetera. So that remains risk, and and though I I would simply note that that means that the FCC will not be sending it to administrative law judge, so you don't have kind of a pocket veto. Rather, you would actually have the DOJ and the states litigating if the DOJ decides to go that way, but I suspect they won't. The third risk, and probably still the most material, is the states suing. That is not a certainty, um, I think the odds of it are roughly speaking around even about them actually suing. They've certainly prepared to sue, they've they've got economists, and uh, they have been talking about themselves, and there are about, I believe, 17 or 18 states that have been following it for the purpose of potentially suing, but that's, that's not a certainty. If it does happen, I think they start out as the underdogs because of the court's uh, natural desire to give shall we say a significant weight not chevron deference is a different thing but give weight to the doj decision but that very much depends on a on a judge and i think would have to wait to see who the judge is before coming to any kind of reasonable view of what are the odds in such such a litigation and then the fourth issue is what does this open it up as we said in our note over the weekend or that came out this early this morning if the chief had simply said we think four going to three is perfectly fine. The economic record seems it's not going to hurt competition that much. I don't know that it would have opened up the doors to a lot of other deals, but the way we thought he would do it and the way he did it essentially argues that wireless is now a competitor in on broadband, that rural is going to be covered with broadband, and that's significant for the direct TV, any kind of direct TV dish combination. But I think that if you think of the broadband market as being one product market which is what he is saying this deal will do it seems difficult in in my view to make a coherent antitrust argument against a deal involving cable and a telco against a comcast charter deal and other deals like that that's not to say there won't be political objections and so i think the comcast charter deal would be you know that that would have difficulties under this administration it is also not to say that if you know, just to pick a name, Elizabeth Warren were to become president, uh, that her antitrust division could take a very different point of view, but it it is always harder to go backwards uh, when you allow a certain kind of uh, consolidation, and this is very significant in terms of the sector, uh, the arguments that it's making. It is a big directional shift. Even a year ago, Ajit was not willing to say that wireless competes with wired, now there's reasons relating to 5G for him to make that assertion, but to allow a deal on those grounds when that's several years out, that, that is a big milestone uh, in terms of how we think of that sector. And with that, Ethan, let me turn it back to you. That's great, thanks,
0: Blair. And uh, operator, I think we're gonna just go ahead and open up the a, a wider call to uh, Q&A at this point, if you don't mind. Jonathan, uh, uh, just one that I've gotten for you on incumbents, obviously the market is traded wireless uh, up or sort of positive today on a market reparation narrative. Uh, I guess the question is, how do we think about the second derivative of, of that trade once people have sort of digested concessions or the industry landscape, are there other issues to consider for the incumbents uh, from a combined uh, T-Mobile and Sprint?
2: Yes, absolutely. Before. I, so I, th- I think the market has it wrong today. This is actually a terrible outcome for AT&T and Verizon. And before I explain why, I'm just going to take a step back and say, I actually think the FCC came to the right decision in this case. Um, I think the the overwhelming consideration uh, that should have should have driven the analysis is the fact that you're going to put a tremendous amount of additional capacity in the hands of a carrier that has been extremely aggressive historically, and that a incremental capacity is going to drive down their cost per gigabyte. And given their historical track record, it's very likely, in my view, it always has been likely that they're going to use that lower cost base and excess capacity to go after market share. The corollary of that is that this this deal is horrible for AT&T and Verizon for a number of reasons. First of all, the idea that T-Mobile is going to act like a a cozy oligopolist, that they're going to throttle back and not try and take share, um, given the amount of excess capacity that they have, I think was always a vain hope. But before we even get there, what T-Mobile is going to do over the course of the next three years... and Again, we always knew they were going to do this, but now it's bound into concessions uh, with the with the FCC. They're going to roll out 5G on two and a half gigahertz spectrum, pretty much nationwide. And AT&T and Verizon today are in no state to compete against a real nationwide 5G offering from T-Mobile. So you're you're going to have a situation where T-Mobile's got a demonstrably better network offering at a demonstrably lower cost to themselves. If they can't increase the, the, the pace of their share gains with that, whether they take price down from here or not, I think it results in a much more difficult competitive environment for AT&T and Verizon. And after the move up today, we'd, we'd be taking the other side of market sentiment Um, we'd be incrementally more bearish on both of those companies.
0: And uh, uh, Jonathan, maybe just the other sort of initial trade today in the market, obviously, that stands out is Dish. Clearly, I guess the move upwards over the last couple of months, you know, increasingly priced in for Dish, some sort of benefit from lower T-Mobile Sprint deal odds Uh, between Spectrum needs or future M&A. Is there anything else that the market should uh, be considering?
2: Yeah, so it goes back to the answer to my last question, which is I think that AT&T and Verizon are in no position today to compete with a T-Mobile that has a nationwide 5G network in large part because they've got no spectrum below six gigahertz to deploy 5G on. DISH is sitting on a trove of fallow spectrum that in the hands of AT&T and Verizon could be purposed for 5G very quickly and effectively and put them in a much better position to compete against the the new T-Mobile. So I would take the opposite side of the market's trade on this and I'd be buying Dish down here. It sucks that they've lost, and yes, certain partner or um, acquirer in T-Mobile with this deal going through, but I think it's a lot more likely now that AT&T and Verizon go after DISH in a transaction in which DISH is going to have more pricing power and will probably get better value for their spectrum. So today's news means it'll take a little bit longer maybe for DISH to to, to monetize its spectrum. I, I think if anything, the value they could get for it goes up as a consequence of this.
0: Great. That's helpful. Blair, quite a few for you just around the DOJ. I guess for starters, you know, common sentiment has just been that it's a little bit odd that the DOJ hasn't made any comments yet over the course of the day with the news already out there for you know almost six hours. And the kind of questions we've been getting are, you know, one, is it possible that the FCC statements caught the DJ, DOJ off guard? Or two, is the FCC trying to sway the DOJ uh, decision? Uh, any kind of thoughts in, in that regard uh, between the relationship in terms of the FCC and the DOJ and the timing? You know, the FCC going first would be appreciated.
1: Yeah. Um, first, let, let me just make a comment about uh, Jonathan's comments. I, I have no opinion on what the right thing to do here was. I will. I will only note that the capacity kinds of arguments he made uh, were made in the 18 T-Mobile deal. They were made in the Direct Dish deal. Maybe they were valid then, maybe they weren't valid then. But that's what I mean by saying that this is a real turning point because it's kind of the first time that, hey, look, anytime you have people consolidating a market, you get greater capacity. Jonathan makes a very good point about the particulars of the low band and mid band spectrum uh, with a lower customer base and the incentives. But I'm just, I just wanna make that historic point about the nature of that argument In terms of the DOJ, we started picking up about four weeks ago and and reported it that the DOJ, I'm sorry, that the companies were going to try to get Ajit to move first. We thought they would not succeed because we couldn't figure out why it was in Ajit's interest to do that. Um, We were wrong about uh, their ability to do that, but we, we, we thought it was an interesting strategy. There is a potential that it backfires. I don't think it will, but uh, it could be that Macon-Delra team reads this and goes, what does the FCC think it's doing here? I am the expert on competition and I make the decision. But I think it's certainly, whether you take the side that the DOJ is soon going to say yes, or you say soon going to say no, you have to answer certain questions that I find very difficult to answer. The reason why I think it's more likely uh, relates a lot to various things I've been told over the last few weeks about kind of where Dalekin might be and things like that. But the the biggest one was his comments uh, in Cartagena last week that were picked up by the deal reporter in which he really sounded like he had just come out of a meeting with John Ledger. And that made us think that those were very different than his comments several weeks ago. So that would be our best guess It is a mystery why the FCC, I I am certain that there was some heads-up to the DOJ, but I don't know that there was a lot of heads-up to the DOJ. On on the other hand, as we reported about a week ago, like it was actually literally a week ago, the the DOJ was having meetings for the first time to discuss conditions with the parties, and then when those meetings moved over to the FCC Friday, We obviously saw that as a positive sign for the deal. So the DOJ must have had some warning. And let me just say that for us, for many months, the fundamental question is, what is the DOJ's concern? Three potential answers. One is they don't have any. Second is prepaid market. And the third is the overall market going from four to three. As we said, if it's only about prepaid, then that's a solvable problem. and that. That appears to be what happened, and that's what gives us some confidence, or I should say more confidence that the DOJ is on board than the opposite.
0: Got it, and and if I can just stick with the DOJ, Blair, for a second, is there any precedence of the DOJ blocking a deal that the FCC has approved, one? And then, two, if we don't hear from the DOJ by the end of the week, you know, is that a red flag to you in terms of whether or not they are on board? How long before, you know, is it one week, two weeks? What's the timing in your view before you start to go, maybe they, they aren't in agreement? <laughs>
1: yeah. uh, so the, the precedent for the DOJ disagreeing with the FCC is precisely the same number of precedents of the FCC deciding the competition issue and, and announcing it significantly before the DOJ, which is to say, no, there is zero precedent. So... In, in this case again trying to solve a mystery in which you're going to have some doubts one reason why we believe the doj will go along is precisely what you just said See, the two kings have been coordinating this whole time they're likely to be thinking about the deal in a similar way uh, Ajib must have felt comfortable enough to say i'm willing to make the stand no it's interesting, you know, the, the analysis really was about rural and 5G and uh, a little bit prepaid and stuff like that. But it wasn't, it wasn't kind of what you might think of as a competition analysis being at the core. Which, to be fair to Ajit, isn't really what the FCC has been known for doing. Usually, they what, what he did is very similar. He won't like this analogy, but it's I think it's pretty accurate. Very similar to what Tom Wheeler did with charter uh Warner cable very similar to what tom Mueller did with at&t direct tv he let the doj decide the competition to things and then he bolstered the public interest benefit okay
0: great thank you i appreciate it jonathan maybe just coming back to you um and and dish in the context of the sas deal today we've had a lot of inbounds about uh, the timing seeming a little bit too coincidental. Uh, any thoughts that you might have on sort of the peculiar nature of the deal dropping today? Do we think that perhaps Dish is going to try to buy the pre- you know the prepaid business and get the MVNO to jumpstart its wireless business? Any thoughts on how it may or may not be related to uh, T-Mobile and Sprint would be helpful.
2: I guess it all depends on what the terms of the MVNO are. Um, if the boost spin out, that if, if Boost ends up with a phenomenal MVNO, it could be a value to DISH. It's certainly a value to somebody. What DISH really needs though is a network more than a bunch of not so great prepaid customers on somebody else's network. I, I struggle to see the opportunity to buy DISH as being the motivation behind Putting Sats and and Dish together, although you know I wouldn't totally rule it out. And another potential motivation, though, could be if T-Mobile isn't coming for Dish, then things are going to take longer, and so having the Sats free cash flow over at T-Mobile to extend its free cash flow runway is probably a better explanation. But I think if if I had to guess, I'd say that the timing is coincidental as it looks, is probably probably unrelated. I think this is a transaction that made sense for Dish. It probably took time for them to set up and it dropped today coincidentally at the same time as as the Sprinty Mobile News.
0: Got it. And then Spencer, obviously the towers are influenced by this. Can you just put some color around the puts and takes for the impact on the
3: towers and who is most exposed? Yeah, absolutely. So we really see four major impacts that will uh, hit the towers from this deal. The one that everybody talks about and tends to price in is really from site decommissioning. T-Mobile and Sprint are targeting 85,000 macro sites, which is down from 113,000 at the end of Q1. That's gonna impact, uh, we think, uh, CCI just a little bit more than SPAC, but both of those are relatively similarly exposed, about 15% downside. Um, AMT is only about half of that because they're so diversified internationally. What people don't really tend to think about are the impacts of amendments, new co-locations that the companies will need to make to invest in, in the business. And then lastly, the fourth driver is really foregone standalone sites. The actually the impact of amendments and colos is actually pretty much offset. By foregone uh, standalone sites, um, but the important thing to remember for tower investors is that um, with uh, is that the impact of the amendments and new co-locations is going to hit a few years before we get any any impact from decommissioning or the or any uh, material impact for foregone standalone site builds um, and so even though there's a net reduction to value that we see for the towers uh, with CCI most exposed, actually over the next couple of years, estimates uh, will probably head higher. And that's important because tower investors really value the, the stability of cash flows. And knowing that for the next three years, estimates are probably going to be either flat to better, it gives a lot of security and... You know, it's hard, you know, we don't really know what the world's going to look like in 2025 and beyond. So we think that there could be uh, a reduction in in site growth in those outer years, but something could change uh, between now and then as well.
0: Thank you. Jonathan, I guess Blair sort of opened up the M&A scenario analysis, Pandora's box, but and certainly the market's not focused there today and is looking past, you know, any future sort of follow-on deals, but I've got a couple of questions this morning just about what we think makes the most sense, at least looking at the landscape today in terms of the next deal in, in the group. And specifically, you know, do we put higher odds on say a Verizon for charter deal than we would say on our charter for Comcast or, or another deal, for example?
2: Yeah, so the this opens the door to deals in two different ways. So one is the regulatory precedent and Blair spoke to that from his perspective. There's not much that the DOJ and FCC would be opposed to in the context of our space based on the decision that they've made here. The other is competitive responses to the deal that's just happened. And that's where I feel like I've got a lot more clarity. And the, the, the deals that are most likely are all deals that have been, have been attempted in, uh, before. So my conclusion is the market's got the AT&T and Verizon piece of this wrong. Those companies need to respond to a much better armed T-Mobile. And for that, they they need more capacity and the path to real 5G, not AT&T rebranding its 4G network as 5G, or Verizon rolling out a couple of hotspots in millimeter wave. They now need to get serious about 5G. And there's two paths. They can turn millimeter wave into a real asset if they have ubiquitous fiber and the transaction there would be one of the cable companies and the one that they've looked at before uh, and would make sense today still would be Charter. I think Blair might say there's nothing preventing them from buying Comcast. I think that might be a bridge too far. It also comes with a lot of assets that Verizon may not want at all and AT&T can't touch given the, the, the deals that they've already done. But the, the something in the cable space, most likely in my view, charter make a lot of sense. We've already talked about the dish piece on the spectrum side. The only other thing I would throw in, and this is a process more than a deal, but now that this has happened, something has to move fast with the with the C band. I think in in agreeing to this, there's going to be tremendous pressure from AT&T and Verizon on the FCC to get the C band repurposed and available for the carriers as quickly as possible. And so I would expect that process to materially accelerate. And this sort of in terms of the value that the C band gets. There's there's a plus and a minus. We've ripped one potential buyer out of the market, and so that theoretically sort of pushes di- down pricing power for the sellers. On the flip side, though, I think getting their hands on the C band spectrum is much more urgent for AT and T and Verizon, and so maybe that counteracts the the downward pressure from losing T Mobile. But certainly, it accelerates the time frame. And those are the those are the deals that I think are, are most likely. It's the competitive response deals, the ones that create capacity, rather looking at fiber or, or spectrum.
4: That's great, thank you. Uh, Claire, I, I,
1: uh, just, um, yeah can I just add ahead. on the C-band? Um, I think um, the FCC uh, has been trying to move quickly. Certainly they've all said that. I don't know that, I, I mean, I, I think it gets done by the end of the year. I don't know that I I, I speed that up because Frankly, what, what has happened over the last about four months is a number of problems have arisen in the CBA plan. CBA is supposed to file a new plan. They haven't done so yet. I hear rumblings of lots of different potential filings over the next few weeks. And I just think that, uh, it's going to take certainly into the third quarter, but I think probably into the fourth quarter, uh, to get it done because it's a, it's a complicated problem involving lots of different players. So it is, it is probably true that Verizon and AT&T are going to push harder to make it go faster, but I would just note that Verizon has already been trying to get them. They they tried to get it done with 100, and, and as to AT&T, I think it's still uncertain about where they are. Though hopefully we'll have some clarity in the next few weeks about this. But I'm, I'm but I also think Jonathan's point's is a very good one. I think the market reflects it today, which is You have one less buyer, the value of spectrum is always the value to the losing bidder. Neither the FCC nor the parties have articulated how many different licenses are going to go out there. But when you have a universe of somewhere between three and five, and you're taking one down, that definitely affects uh, the ultimate value to be returned.
0: Hey, Blair, maybe if I could just stick with you real quickly. Uh, what are your latest thoughts in terms of the timeline for state AG lawsuit? I know in your published notes today, you said if the DOJ is on board with the FCC, then that probably diminishes or takes lower the probability of, of a potential lawsuit. But any kind of specific timeline would be appreciated.
1: Yeah, look, uh, the uh, I think the way it works, though, I should just note that we, again, we're in somewhat uncharted territories here, is that the DOJ is under no deadline to make a decision. I think I failed to answer the question you asked earlier about, like, if, if a week goes by and they haven't said anything, is that a red flag? I could interpret it that way. I could interpret it the other way. I, th- I think the more time that goes on, the higher you have to tick up the risk that the DOJ is contemplating a lawsuit to block. But I don't think that if If Joachim hasn't acted by today, then I don't know that he needs to act tomorrow or this week or next week, right? He's not under a deadline. There is a you know the the companies can assert they are in substantial compliance and then the DOJ has i believe thirty days to file or the deal can just go through. so we might we might see some of that. But as to the states acting independently, They certainly prepared for litigation. I think it's more likely than not that they move ahead, but I'm barely at that level. They would arguably want to move ahead to seek an injunction to block closing prior to the the company's actually closing. There's an interesting question of when the companies can close. Usually you would say you can't close until the FCC has approved the transaction. I don't know whether that would include Three FCC commissioners announcing they plan on voting for the deal. The FCC isn't going to vote this, I don't think, until the end of June or maybe even July. I think uh, Pai indicated that it's a couple of the staff is still a couple weeks of work to do. That's kind of interesting, but not that surprising because you've got to incorporate the commitments. But then Pai has then circulated draft items to the other commissioners, and they have three. They vote them three weeks later. So that adds, roughly speaking, about I think the math is five, five, two plus three is five. I know that. But I I think that's the approximate time of the FCC action. I don't know that the DOJ needs to move before then, nor do I know that the states need to move before then. But you could see a scenario in which Zalrahim says, yes, the lawyers say we can close tomorrow because we're 100 percent confident that the FCC will act and then the states would have to move very quickly. So the, the states... Probably have some time, but there are a variety of different litigation strategies one could think of.
0: And I'm just just to interject as my Bloomberg lights up here. You know, perhaps we probably should have uh, scheduled our call for three o'clock, and we might have changed the narrative a little bit. Only in that uh, headlines are hitting the tape to saying that the DOJ is inclined to reject the deal. I don't know if uh, you have any sort of uh, initial reactions to that, perhaps Blair.
1: <laughs> well, uh, my, my initial reaction to that is we had thought that – we had always thought the most difficult obstacle the, the deal had is the DOJ staff. We have always thought that they wrote something in 2011 that they still believe is true. There's a national wireless market going to four to three would be present competition issues. That's a really interesting thing. What can um, I'm going to put you on the spot. What's the sourcing? For the story well, you know what i
0: haven't i haven't uh haven't had a chance to like go through it yet
1: uh yeah well look, well i I will simply say this if what we said today turns out to be inaccurate in terms of what the d o j is likely to do, and the d o j is inclined to block the deal. the big difference is this deal will go to court, the companies will definitely litigate i think the d o j and the states are you know roughly speaking are certainly more likely than not to win in my opinion. To, Legal lines can differ, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what, what what judges they get. But there's a fairly clean argument against it. I'm not disagreeing with Jonathan. I want to be clear. I'm not um, making a a judgment about what the DOJ should do. I'm simply saying that if you look at traditional antitrust law and you look at a number of comments that the company has made about the need to merge, to do 5G, the need to merge, I mean, you know, as we pointed out in the note, T-Mobile has really great low-bound spectrum, which they got when the FCC did it set aside, which, by the way, I'm pretty sure Ty dissented on. But part of their argument for getting the set aside was to do rural. So there's lots of arguments the DOJ has under, under kind of a traditional, anti, you know, a traditional antitrust uh, litigation. But I, I don't know how to react to the story uh, it's, uh, without it's. Uh... Having,
0: it's it's a it's a person close or a person fi- a familiar with the review and it's a Bloomberg story. Okay. Uh, well, look, I, maybe, I, I have the same yeah,
1: reaction that I had when the the Wall Street Journal um, wrote that piece now about four weeks ago, I think, saying the DOJ staff had told the company they wouldn't allow the deal to go through as currently structured. It was unlikely to go through as currently structured. You know, you could argue that they've offered to restructure by virtue of the divest and boost. But but my reaction to today's story is I don't believe Bloomberg would do that unless they had a very good source. Um, And so that whatever number I thought was the odds of uh, the DOJ blocking it, that number has now gone up. It's it's still below 50, in my view, um, because it could just represent a staff uh, perspective. But we're we're in uncharted territory and I don't uh that sounds to me like Delraheen himself possibly because I don't know that Bloomberg would have taken any other source. Yeah.
0: Uncharted territory for sure. Maybe if um John hasn't come back to some of the key themes that we were focused on today without sort of the opportunity to Know, completely assess the headlines as they're hitting the tape but 5G was obviously another sort of focus uh, of uh, today's news with negative ramifications for cable nobody's done probably more work on 5G than New Street uh, I guess the question would be how do we frame the risk to cables broadband dominance from T-Mobile and Sprint you know potentially targeting in-home broadband just in a scenario where we are in a, a go-forward with with the deal
2: so if the deal goes forward, I think the commitment that they've made around offering home broadband to 9.6 million homes in three years and 28 million homes in six years is actually a lot softer than the the claims they'd been making in the run-up to this process. Um, we'd actually thought they expected to have 10, 9.6 million customers um, in, uh, in a few years time, um, which we thought was unlikely. So our analysis suggested that 9.6 million customers is unlikely. They could maybe sign up half of that amount. If they're targeting 9.6 million in three years, 28 million in six years, it's far more likely that they hit something like our estimate of five million customers than than uh, anyone near the ten million customers that I think people ha- had feared, and so I actually think this is this is the 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 reality is less bad than the fears that have been out there up until now. But the the, the key thing I I would drive home is the the areas where we're going to see competition is areas where. Sprint doesn't can't really use the sorry T-Mobile can't really use the capacity for mobile customers. I means rural markets by and large the companies that are most likely to suffer in uh in those markets against an offering that is has a minimum speed of 25 down and 3 meg- megabits per second up is probably not the the cable companies at least not the ones that we cover. I think this is incremental pressure on rural local exchange carriers uh more than anything
1: i think jonathan's point about the impact on local folks is really important um uh and and including the impact on universal service spending we talked about that a little bit uh in the note this morning go ahead Ethan.
0: i was just going to uh see if there's any questions from the operator i've had a couple clients emailing me saying they they were in the queue so i just want to confirm that operator
5: so we, uh, we will take our first question from Sohail Sarashvi of Carleton Capital. Please go ahead.
4: Hey, this is uh, Sohail. Thanks for uh, taking my question. So if we work under the assumption that the um, the deal does get blocked, for T-Mobile, earlier on the call, I think, John, you made the statement that given the pro forma spectrum position in mid-band that T-Mobile and Sprint enjoy, that Team Verizon would be sort of disadvantaged from a national 5G perspective. So you talked about the, you know, the bank shot effect on how that might affect pricing for the C-band, but I wanted to ask you, do you think that changes the potential outcome on the the sale mechanism? And the, the thought process is as follows. If uh, T-Mobile and Sprint were to close, they would have a ton of mid-band spectrum to deploy um, coverage 5G on. If the FCC went Along with a FCC auction, it would take years, thus putting AT and T, Verizon, at a disadvantaged position for years. So, so do you think that if a deal does fail, this increases the likelihood of a you know a market-based mechanism to quickly reallocate the spectrum? Thanks.
2: As a starting point, I think the idea that an FCC-run process will be much longer than a, a CBA-run process. Is just wrong. I think the the FCC could could, if they if they really wanted to, hold an auction later this year or early next year, um, very capably and sell the spectrum. I think the CBA would claim that they that they'll sue and potentially slow down the process of that spectrum becoming usable. And maybe that results in a slower process for the spectrum becoming usable, but I, I, I don't think there's there's any reason to actually believe that that's the case. More importantly, I think the the idea of the CBA transacting in the spectrum in a non-transparent process where they figure out what the block sizes of the spectrum should be, um, what the market areas should be, and they go through the process of deciding who gets what and at what price, I think is reasonably unlikely. Um, I think we're probably looking at an auction, and it's a question of whether it's an auction run by the CBA or it's an auction run by the FCC. I don't think it matters that much to the FCC or any of the the other participants, whether the CBA runs the auction or the, the FCC does, if the CBA can demonstrate that they've got the technical sophistication to run an auction. But it's it's I think the most important thing is, I think this speeds up the process. I think we've been waiting for a number of weeks now for the CBA to come out with a new proposal. I think the if this if we're back in the realm where this deal's going through and the DOJ isn't going it isn't going to suit a block there's going to be additional additional pressure on the CBA to come up with a proposal that the industry can get on board with that the FCC can then get behind or there becomes an increasing likelihood that the FCC takes takes control of the process themselves so it's I think it's at this point in the CBA's hands, but they uh, they better get moving.
0: Operator, are there any more? Qu- I think there may be more questions on the call.
5: I'll take our next question from Drew Figner of TIG Advisors. Please go ahead. Hi, actually, it's field Course on Drew's line. Um, I'm just trying to figure out oh, why, Jonathan. Do you think that T-Mobile would actually keep the prices really low? I mean, according to economics, he only has to lower the prices just slightly below where AT&T and Verizon are for um, sell service And then he he can act like much more of an oligopolistic person here. I mean, uh, he's only got three players, so an oligopoly is what you'd expect.
2: So I guess what I'd say is at the end of the process, how much market share do you think he wants to have? He's gonna start off, if this deal goes through, he'll start off with 30% market share. And he's got sixty percent of the industry's capacity. So, where do you think he wants to? Where do you think he wants to get to? Thirty-three percent, thirty-five percent, or sixty percent? Um, I think it's you know maybe maybe he he ha he thinks that um, getting to sixty percent would drive too much disruption, um, so that the the industry that he ultimately owns ends up less valuable. Um, but certainly I would think 40 to, f- 40, 40 to 45% is a reasonable bogey in terms of market share gains uh, or, or a market share target. And then the question is, how long do you think he wants to get there? He's, uh, so Legere is a lot older than he, than he looks. He doesn't have another 10 years in him as, uh, as CEO. I would guess he probably wants to get there pretty quickly. And from a value of his equity perspective, it's historically he's been rewarded for the pace at which he grows subscribers. So, T-Mobile for for almost all for most of the 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 last five years has traded at a higher multiple than the incumbents on current year EBITDA um, on the expectation that they're going to grow EBITDA, but all from sub growth. If you look at models, there's not a lot baked in. For margin expansion, nothing baked in for uh, for price increases. So it's you know based on that set of facts, my guess is that they're going go to go after market share, and they're they're going to be aggressive in the process. And it's they're taking market share at a at a pretty decent clip at the moment, priced 20% AT, below AT&T and Verizon. I don't think they need to take price down from here to increase the pace of market share because i think as they roll out a 5g network their offering relative to at&t and verizon's is going to improve and so the value gap between their network that they're offering and verizon and at&t's is going to widen even if they don't take down price i think, I think so. So that, that, that think that's, them that's
5: from actually increasing price to a closer to i mean you're giving me all the reasons, I think, that why, um it makes sense for them to actually start to ratchet prices up because they'll, they'll have the better value and the people who are insensitive to price are going to go ahead and pay whatever they need to get the better quality. If that's, and if that's it's yeah. turning up to be, then, you know, I, you, you don't want to, you don't want to lower price. In fact, I would argue you don't want to even keep price where it is because you're you're sacrificing your long-term your long-term uh income for the short-term subscriber gains i mean i get that that's attractive but not a complete not a complete uh turnaround that's that's my only concern
2: yeah i, I mean it's a valid concern but so I, what i'd say is you don't have to be that concerned because they have guaranteed to keep prices where they are for three years and it's a three-year commitment because they've convinced the FCC that beyond three years, market forces will keep prices down. And so the FCC is a little bit more confident than you are that in the argument that I laid out that, the, that T-Mobile's incentive is actually to remain price aggressive. Um, and I guess I would disagree with the idea. So look at the way Charter behaves in the market. They're essentially in a, in a one-player market or a two-player market. And they've kept prices low on the view that, that the way to maximise the value of their business is to get to the highest possible penetration or market share that they can. And once they get to that point, then they can look at taking prices up. And there's two there's two components to their their belief. One is that they dr- the more they drive up the utility of their network, the greater the value of that network will be to their customers um and the more value they'll be able to command for that network over time but secondly by taking up price you inhibit your ability to take market share price is a, is a lever that you can always pull why inhibit your ability to take market share until you can no longer take market share anymore and i actually completely agree with that as a as a strategy you've got other cable companies doing exactly the opposite so there are different views on the way to maximize value in a business, um, but I, I happen to agree with the charter approach. And I think, l- judging by the T-Mobile's actions in the past, I think that's their that's been their historical strategy. And I think if this deal's going through, it's because they've m- managed to convince the authorities that it's their future strategy as well.
0: And hey, Socio, I, I I'm sorry, I gotta I gotta just uh, put no worries, I got on it. It, yep. at least at least He he has to – he's got a TV appearance. He's got to make Blair. I've got one more for you, if you can hold, and and if anyone wants to send in incremental questions, that's fine. Um, But if you can still stay on the line, Blair, or Operator, if there's any other questions for Blair Spencer as well. But maybe just let me come back to the field real quickly before we go to the the phone lines. Blair, on the Bloomberg story that hit regarding the DOJ, the question is just, would do you think the DOJ would be satisfied if T-Mobile also agreed to divest spectrum to help a fourth player like a Dish or you know maybe one of the cable cable players? Is that you know perhaps potentially maybe something that the, the DOJ wants that the SEC wasn't as focused on?
1: Oh, it's a great question, and I think uh, and I appreciate that uh, several people have sent me now the article. And uh, what's, what's striking about it is it doesn't say conditions don't work which would be a fair interpretation of a number of speeches that Delrahim had given earlier uh, during his tenure at the DOJ, but rather it says the conditions don't solve. I can't remember the right phrase, but it's like, but there might be a condition out there. And so the spectrum thing comes up, but I don't know what that solves. Again, if the issue is getting from four to three, then you have to have a new fourth player. DISH has spectrum. Uh, would, would getting more spectrum be useful? Probably, but but their real their constraint is the network. You could say the cable guys could use spectrum, but I can't. You can't necessarily force a sale to them. Um, certainly, AT&T and Verizon would be interested in some of the 2.5, but I don't see how that solves the competition problem. You know, the, uh, I, this this whole episode. is weird enough that you kind of go, well, maybe it's the DOJ institutionally saying we want to get our piece of the action. But again, if they do that, it goes to a Tony Act proceeding and it adds a level of legal risk. Usually Tony Act proceedings go fairly uh, smoothly, so they're they're not that risky, but in this particular case, it might not. I just am not sure I see, it it would have to be a lot more than just spectrum for there to be an argument that there is now going to be a fourth facilities based competitor. Uh, and if I can just add one other thing about conditions, it's a question that came up on some calls earlier this morning. I, I think when you look at the history of conditions, you know, um, this, this, they don't really work out. And in the, in the sense that they don't necessarily accomplish what they were meant to do. Uh, a classic example, which I think is relevant here is I think it was when SBC bought Bell South. They were supposed to do a bunch of out-of-region uh, centers, uh, wire centers. I think they were supposed to do somewhere order of magnitude 50. They did one. Uh, they paid a huge fine for not doing both and the others, and then they were done. And I think if you look at the math of the fines, I, I, I haven't run all the numbers, but I suspect that if they don't sell Boost on time, they may make more money keeping it. I, I, I don't know, but. You can also see how if I were thinking about that I might be interested in buying Boost, I would worry about to what extent do the combined companies essentially move all my customers before I get them or have ways to move them as soon as I get them, things like that. So these are, I think, from an investor perspective, if you're looking at what's going to be the cost of complying, you really should compare to the cost of not complying. And uh, there are certain things where the cost of not complying may well be, Uh, lower and that's the likely action of the companies.
0: That's great. Thanks, Blair. Uh, You know, we've come up now on the hour, I think this is probably a good place to leave it. Obviously, uh, we will, as the situation remains fluid, we'll continue to uh, be publishing on it and obviously reach out to anyone on the team, whether that be Jonathan, Benzer, or Blair. We're available by phone or you can hit us on email. Thank you again for dialing in, everyone.
5: Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation.
4: You may now disconnect.